0: Everybody, episode 724 of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy and honored as always to be here with you guys. Thank you for tuning in. I've got an awesome guest to hit you guys with today. Ian Zeering joins me on the podcast today. Ian is very well known for playing Steve Sanders on Beverly Hills 90210, which was one of the most popular shows in the 1990s. Ian is also extremely well-known for Sharknado. The Sharknado series has really uh, taken on a life of its own. It's become extremely popular over the last few years. And I have got to admit, though, that I was a closet Beverly Hills 90210 watcher all through high school in the 90s there. I I was a big fan of the show. I watched it all the time. Now, that's not something I really wanted to admit during high school, but it was really one of the biggest shows, one of the most successful shows of the 90s. And it was so much fun to watch Ian Ziering's character, Steve Sanders, evolve from the beginning of the show till its conclusion. He was one of the cast members, I think was in every episode of the show. He was there uh, throughout the entire series. So if you, like me, were a big fan of Beverly Hills 0, you are really going to enjoy this one. It's an honor to have Ian Ziering with me on the podcast today. He's going to be here in just a few minutes. So please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Ian Ziering was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So you're going to watch today's conversation between Steve Sanders, Ian Ziering, and myself. Please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, And if you do enjoy today's interview and you were a fan of Beverly Hills 90210, then you have got to go back and check out my interview with David Silver, Brian Austin Green, who also joined me here on the podcast last year, I believe it was, might've been the year before that, but uh, go through the archives of the podcast. I'll put the link in the description of today's show so you guys could find it easily. But Brian Austin Green stopped by the podcast here as well. Uh, Steve Sanders, David Silver were, I think, two of the characters. Both of them were there for the entire series. I don't believe either one of them ever left the show. I know some of the cast members, the main members, uh, dropped off as the years went on, but those two remained consistent. They were pals uh, throughout the series. So uh, go check out my interview with Brian Austin Green, available on First Class Fatherhood. And I know they are touring uh, the Beverly Hills 90210 cast, the original cast members. They do these 90s tours. It's so much fun to look back and see. I know recently, this year, I had uh, Jamie Jones on the podcast, uh, the, the guy who created All for One. It was one of the biggest groups in the 1990s. Their song, I Swear, was a chart topper. It's fun to look back and revisit some of these things. Uh, that we all watched and enjoyed growing up. I know he does the tour now, the 90s tour, just like the Beverly Hills 90210 cast members are doing. Always fun to look back and it's amazing that I get a chance to connect with these people now, that they are fathers, that they are family men and have a chance to talk with them on the show. It's really an honor for me. So go back through the archives and check out all the guests that have stopped by here on the podcast. Been so many of them, especially even the NFL players that I watched growing up that now I've had the opportunity to speak with here on the podcast and I owe that all to you listeners out there who have kept this podcast going and kept it in the iTunes charts for so long and I really got to say thank you so much. So please continue to share the episode. If you know somebody that was a big fan of Nine Hundred Two and Zero, send them this episode; they're gonna love it. And if you plan on taking your family to any sporting events, or theater events, or anything else, concerts, whatever it may be, buy your tickets on SeatGeek.com. Use that SeatGeek app and plug in the promo code First Class. That's one word, First Class, and you could save twenty dollars on your tickets. And be sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec Underscore Lace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. Got some great ones coming your way soon. So let's do this today. As always, please help me spread the word about today's podcast, every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with Ian Zeering on first class fatherhood. Joining me now, first-class father, Ian Ziering. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm doing well. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Let's start like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they?
1: I've got two kids, 10 and 12, two beautiful little girls, and uh, I couldn't be happier. Dad's the best role I ever had.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. Back to school now. Are they involved in any uh, sports activities for the year? My youngest, Penna, she's in the school play, and
1: she's very excited about that. They're doing the musical Newsies Junior, and she's playing Miss Catherine, which is a lead, so she's super excited, and I'm working on music with her, and we're watching the movies and, and reading lines, and it's, it's the best. My oldest, uh, you know, she is very involved with her friends at school, there's... Not much going on after school. She comes home and, and does her work and, uh, you know, getting her off the iPhone is is very challenging. She takes tennis lessons once a week. So uh, she's got that going on at least.
0: Yeah, we, we got a battle of the iPads over here as well. There's there's no question you're not alone there. So uh, take me back if you could. I, uh, you know, 12, 13 years ago, how old were you when you became a dad and had that experience change your perspective on life?
1: I became a dad when I was 47, late in life, yeah, uh, which is was a bummer to me because I wanted to have three kids by the time I was 30. I grew up in a family, uh, I was the third of three boys, 10 years behind my brothers. Uh, my dad likes to say I was the best mistake he ever made, uh, although I know they wanted a child uh, right at they always wanted a third kid, it just didn't happen right after my second brother, Barry, but it did happen. And here I am. And having an older dad growing up was, uh, was an interesting experience for me because all of my friends, their dads were the the coaches of the baseball teams were always very proactive. My dad worked three jobs, very hardworking man. My mom, you know, typical housewife of the times. And my dad would come home and they'd play some ball. I'd get two or three pitches out of him before we'd say, hey, i he called call me. I'm my my shoulder hurts. Play with your brothers. So I kind of knew that he was older and it was further exemplified by my friends, fathers being so much younger. And I knew at an early stage that I wanted to be a young dad because I wanted those years with my future children to be uh, when I was virile. When I was strong enough to really engage and roughhouse and tumble, I thought I was only having kids, only having boys, (laughs) I've got two girls. So uh, it just didn't happen for me until later in life. So when I had the kids, you know, it was a a huge shift. Uh, My life had been pretty fun up until then. Um, Not that it wasn't fun anymore, but there was a distinct shift. From fun, away from fun. But what in the distance I moved away from fun, what was taken was replaced with joy. And there's nothing that can compare you for the joy that you'll experience in your having your own children. Um, And it was a welcomed give. I always wanted kids. I finally had them and while I might not have been doing the the things that I had done as a single man or a, a childless couple, you know, I it was all replaced with so much joy and holding my kids and in making up lullabies with them and, and teaching them concepts and being with my daughter. I remember walking on my street, I've got my kid and all of a sudden a crow is crowing and, My little daughter is like looking up and like, oh, my God, this is the first time you've ever heard a crow. This is amazing. So I I started making notes. I've got anniversaries of the first time my daughter had an M&M or the first time my other daughter said. Pick me up, daddy, because she used to say, pick up me, dad, pick up me. And, you know, just creating concepts were just things you don't expect, you know. When kids are born, they they come pre-wired to know mine. Mine, 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 mine. And I get it. You know, they'd have their toys. But it was a teaching opportunity for me to, to help them, and especially with my older one who would always say mine when it came time to sharing with her younger sister, you know, where I got to teach them the concept of yours, mine, and ours. And I did that uh, one day because she didn't grasp that this is ours, but I put a toothbrush in her hand, I put a toothbrush in my hand, and I gave our the baby a toothbrush. I said, "This is mine." I held up her hand, this is yours, and that's penis. Mine yours, penis. So she understood mine, yours. But the concept of ours didn't come into play in her mind till I broke out the toothpaste. Because I put the toothpaste on mine, put the toothpaste on hers and penna's, and then I said, This is ours. So being able to teach these rudimentary concepts that we take for granted that you don't come pre-wired for was like Way to go, Dan. Way to go. It's like it felt great, you know, and I always look for opportunities where I can give them little life lessons and, you know, help them be successful, independent kids.
0: I I love that analogy uh, because, uh, you know, I I have four kids, uh, three boys. We got our girl on the fourth try. And, uh, you know, I have two teenagers in the house, 17 and 16, and they'll they'll eat us out of house and home. So I do the food shopping and come home like on Sunday. That's supposed to be the food for the week. They're digging in there i'm like guys you know yeah you pace yourself here you know and the little ones are trying to get some, so everyone's trying to out eat everybody I'm like we got to share these things so my older boys i'm like you guys got to start pitching in here and buying your groceries because if you're going to be eating all these snacks uh we'll give you a little shelf over here you know for you to do that but yeah it gets it gets a little bit more challenging and one of the things that i do struggle with it, it is with my daughter is with the discipline with my boys i got it down pretty good but i'm you know my daughter's nine my wife helps out a little bit more at that than i do you got the two girls what is it like now as they're getting a little older here. What type of disciplinarian are you as a dad? And is that different than the discipline style you grew up with?
1: A little bit, a little bit different. We're dealing with technology now that I never had to as a child. My parents, you know, I would catch a fresh one if I screwed up or if I was a smart aleck or did something wrong. I would get spanked and I'm not opposed to spanking. It's not It's not abuse. It's discipline. And with my oldest, there was one occasion where the girls were in the backseat and they were arguing with each other. This one's copying the other. Stop it. They'd start to poke. And I'm like, hey, girls, you need to settle down. It's distracting. I'm concentrating here. I'm driving. I can't have you screaming back there. Please be quiet. And when they were real young, I would take away their talking privilege. They've lost talking privilege. And (laughs) that would work for a little bit. <laughs> no talking, you've lost the privilege. And they would be like, "So when they blew through that concept, I said, look, you need to stop. You're making this dangerous for daddy. And I can't have you. I don't want to tell you 10 times to be quiet. And of course my oldest one is still needling the younger one. And I, and I see in my rearview mirror that she put hands on the younger one. I said, Mia, I just saw you do that. If you do it again, no, that you're going to get hit, that it's coming. All right. So I'm not throwing you under the bus schedule under the bus. I'm giving you the bus schedule. Okay. If you put hands on her, you're telling me you understand you're accepting the fact that you're going to be punished because I'm going to turn around and smack you. And she like fluffed it off. And then I, I'm looking in my rearview mirror and I see her poker sister and with all the grace of a Zen archer and the speed of the of a master ninja, I turn around and I smack the top of her hand. It was lightning fast. I couldn't believe I moved so fast. I couldn't believe I was so accurate with the slap on top of the hand. And she buckled and started to cry and they didn't speak the rest of the night. You know, I don't hit the kids. I don't look to hit the kids. But if they do something, this is how I was raised. And it worked. It worked. I never wanted to get spanked. My father would bring it. I'd get always on the tush. I'd get smacked. But, you know, I haven't had to do that. It's happened a couple of times, but only because they deserved it. They earned that. But now that they're older, I'm not interested in hitting the kids. I've got something even more powerful than that. And that's leverage. In our house, it's all about merit you know, if they want something, they have to earn it. If they uh, are looking to do something, they have to show a pattern of behavior that's commensurate with being rewarded. And, And that's how I dole it out. And if, you know, they do something wrong, then they lose privilege. Their only job is to be a good student. And I give them everything they need to do that. I'll give them tutors. They'll get Whatever they need to be, all you have to be is a good student. What I ask on top of that is that they're sisterly, that they're respectful of each other, that they're not fresh and don't talk back to their mom or myself. And that's not much to ask for an iPhone 12, an iPad, taking you to the store, buying you nice clothes. All I have to do is feed you and clothe you. I don't have to buy you nice clothes. I could buy you potato stacks. I could feed you pizza every night. I just have to give you food. No one's going to throw me in jail as long as I'm feeding you and clothing you and putting a roof over your head. Okay. Anything other than what I've asked of you, if you can't do that, then you're going to start. I'm going to start rolling back the privileges. It's very hard not to spoil our children. You want to give them everything. And the tough love. When I was a kid, tough love was me getting smacked. That's tough love, Ian. But now as an adult with a different perspective, I realized that it's tougher for the parent. I never want to smack my hand. I never want to take away privilege. I want to give her everything. So the tough is on us to have <laughs> to do something that we don't really want to do. Um, it's really now all about... Taking away their their cell phone or or screen time or or whatever it is that's uh, not allowing a particular behavior to to be done in in a way that's commensurate with them being raised as um, young
0: ladies. Uh, I'm right there with you. My my father had me when he was 50 years old. I'm the youngest of seven blended marriage, blended family. Uh, My father was a used car salesman in the Bronx born in 1930. There was no fooling around. I was one of those. Just wait till your father comes home type of deals. And so my father was all serious business. And I often wonder now as a dad with my four kids, like he didn't seem to feel guilty when he was, uh, putting a smack on us. Like he didn't seem like it bothered him. It bothers me. Like when I was spanking my older ones, we were little. I'm like, I don't know how he did this and didn't really feel any, you know, so, and I agree with you. Like up to a certain point, it's not necessary anymore. Uh, now, you know, you have other tools that you're able to use, but when they don't, when you can't have that conversation, they don't seem to understand it works and it does get results. And I, I, I know that. Go ahead. (laughs) You know, I I had friends that would get hit with a spoon, wooden spoon.
1: I have friends that growing up, their father would take a belt across their butt. Oh, my God. Friends that, you know, would have their mouth washed out with soap. Like, what? It seems like. But that's the way our parents grew up. That's the way. I mean, you know, you go back to medieval times. It was probably even more drastic. You know, I'm going to have to cut your finger off. What? What? You know, it's now to the point where I can use my words (laughs) and I could use the leverage. But, yeah, you know, when we were kids, you're the youngest of five. Your father was, you know, used cars, a a car salesman, you know, seven kids, patience runs out. And if you're last on the totem pole screwing around and then there's a dad who's got very little patience,
0: it's coming. Justice came swiftly. Yeah, no doubt. And I know now, too, one of the difficult situations that you're in, so are millions of other American dads in this country. You're in a, um, a co-parenting situation right now, which can make it very difficult. So what has been your co-parenting situation? What's been the struggle with that? What's been working?
1: Well, divorce is, is something that no one wants who's married. It's an unfortunate situation. But for me, it was necessary for for both uh, my ex and I. It just... It wasn't working out where we do agree is that our kids come first. So we put our differences aside and do what it takes to make sure the kids get everything they, they need to be successful individuals to grow up into, uh, adults that are capable on as many fronts as their, uh, as they can, you know, we, uh, we co-parent very well. We have a, an active, my ex and I have an active text thread. We are not fighting. We do what's best for the kids. I realize that this is a unique situation because, you know, when people divorce, there is uh you know, it can be very contemptuous, but you know, my ex and I seem to, to do it pretty well. If I need her to watch the kids on a weekend, that's mine. No problem. If, she needs me to watch it. If she's away, I'll watch the kids. It's no problem. You know, we, we do a pretty good job with that.
0: Yeah. Well, well said. Ayn. And unfortunately I'm, I'm running up against my clock here. So I got to move this along here. And I, I love to ask all the dads that I get on this podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening?
1: Wow. You know, I, I think just, Understanding that there is no instruction manual. Kids don't come home from the hospital with a how to book. Just follow your intuition. Don't hesitate to ask friends that have kids how they've dealt with similar situations and do the best you can. I mean, no one can fault you if you're doing the best you can. Everyone's got different means, everyone has a different upbringing you know, you just be, you raise the best kids that you can ask for help when you need it.
0: Yeah. Very well said. I love the message. I'm your first class father all the way. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on first class fatherhood. You got it, pal. Take care. You have been listening to first class fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order first class fatherhood advice and wisdom from high profile dads on amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs two six tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.